Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. And I'll be reading today from Matthew 16, verses 13 to 25. Peter declares that Jesus is a Messiah. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was a Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall not happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. So I was uh, preparing for the coming Easter weekend and just these messages leading up to this, which is, uh, are meant to prepare us to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus, my mind went to a conversation that I had with a friend of mine uh, that w- I went to school with, and we would talk often about faith, but mostly she would just sort of ask me questions about what I believed, and she knew that I went to church, and she didn't really tell me very much about what she thought all of all of it. And then years later, uh, we actually ended up working together. We ran into each other in the cafeteria of the place where we were working, and uh, I didn't realize she had been hired on there in HR, and so we you know, would, would um, have lunch from time to time with other people and of course always conversations about God or whatever would come up. And you know, after we were all talking about it one day, um, she just hung around after she said to me, Novij, I, um, when I was 10, my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer. And she said, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and she died. So she said, I, um, she said, I gave God the finger that day and I've never looked back. She was expressing to me, you know, and this was, this was her experience at the age of 10, and that's what she had concluded, was that there was faith, and then there was a failure, an apparent failure on God's part, and then there was a wound that never went away. Now, your story may be different than hers, but you can actually understand the sentiment. And maybe you've never said something like that about God or to God. But I think we can all appreciate and understand through our own experiences and the lives of those that we love, who we're walking with, what it is to go through something where you are hoping and pleading and expecting God to come through. And he doesn't. 
and the damage that that does to our faith, right? And, and maybe you've actually stayed away from faith for a very long time because of it. Maybe you've actively sort of separated yourself from it, or maybe you've still gone because that was a part of your family or a part of your tradition or was just a sort of a routine of your life. But inside, you've stepped back. Inside, there is a struggle that has never been resolved, a wound that has never been healed. I think we can all understand that and appreciate that. And what's interesting is um, maybe this comes up for you with many of the songs that we sing. One of, the, one of my favorite songs that we sing, the, the, the chorus says, oh my God, you will not delay my, my refuge and strength always. I will not fear my God will come through always. And maybe you sing that sometimes and maybe you can't sing that because you think, well, I don't, is that true? Because it doesn't seem to be true right now. You know, that you're the God of miracles or, you know, one of the songs we sing, that you are perfect in all of your ways, God. And sometimes we think, if I was you, I wouldn't have done that. I don't think that's so perfect. I think this, we need to be honest that that is one of the primary wrestles of faith, of people of faith. That to be someone of faith is not to be without doubt. It's just to say, and sometimes I'm struggling to believe. I believe, but I cannot reconcile what I believe about you with what I see in the world. And as we're journeying through the season of Lent, which is a season of preparation towards Easter, I wanted us to camp out this morning in a, in a story of someone who I think we could identify with very much or who could identify with us in this whole crisis of faith. The passage that Serena read for us is a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples and uh, the gospel writers, three of them who wrote their four biographies of Jesus, three of them include this story and specifically zero in on the, on the person of Peter and his own journey in wrestling with faith on who Jesus is. Now, leading up to this point in, in, the, in the biography of Jesus, as he has sort of come onto the scene, he's starting to, to teach with the kind of power and authority and wisdom that people are starting to say, I've never heard things this wise. I've never understood God like I understand it when this man speaks. Not only was he teaching, though, it wasn't just a sage, he was doing things like miracles that people had never seen or at least had, they had heard about in their history that some prophets might have been done here and there but had never seen someone do it in their own eyes. Healing sicknesses, chronic illnesses, like blind people were seeing again, dead people were coming back to life, demons were being cast out of people so they were seeing a kind of power that they've never seen before. And then on top of that, they were seeing a kindness and compassion and, and as someone who was breaking the social norms and barriers with regards to gender and ethnicity and social class and religion. And so they were not just starting to go, this is amazing. They were starting to say, who is this man? Who is this person? And in the Jewish people, and he, Jesus would have ministering to a people who, from some who would have been from a Jewish background, but many who was, he was in from Galilee. Galilee was a, was a, a throughway town. It was near the port, and so there was, it was a mixed bag. It was quite ethnically diverse. And so you had all kinds of people that weren't from Jewish background. But the Jewish people 
would have begun to wonder, <clears throat> is this our rescuer? Is this Messiah? Is this Redeemer? Because they were people who for um, over 400 years had been under the rule of one country, one empire, or another, and now they were under the rule of Rome. And so Jesus has this moment, this gathering with his, his disciples, <clears throat> and he's asking them, so, hey, like, who are people saying that I am? And they're saying, oh, they're your people prophet or whatever. And then he says to them, okay, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter, who was never at a loss for words, even when he should have been, you know, jumps out and says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus has this moment with his followers that, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. Loaded word for them. They were all Jewish. The Messiah was the, the deliverer, the one who was going to come and overthrow the power of Rome, the one who was going to rescue them, the one who was going to restore their political um, in freedom, their religious independence, their economic freedom, because many of them had lost their businesses, their farms, their homes. The Romans would tax so heavily to the point when you couldn't pay your taxes anymore, they would say, well, fine, well, give us your land, and then you can work as a slave on the land you used to own to pay it back. Some people would have been had to sell themselves or their children into slavery. And so for Messiah to come would mean that they would be rescued from this cruel empire. And so G Peter says in this moment, we figured it out. You're the one. You are the one. And Jesus, for the first time in this whole biography, says, you're right. And then he says some amazing things after he says, and you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And, and commentators say, what did he mean by that? Did he mean he was going to build the church on Peter? They think actually what he was going to build the church on was that confession that Peter had just said. You are the Christ. Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to build my church on that. That I am the one. But then he says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. You know, we use that sort of in our, in our sort of everyday vernacular. But he basically says to them, like, you, now, this kingdom, which for them, again, woo, like radar going off, Messiah kingdom means it's going to be an actual kingdom. He's going to be the actual king. They're going to kick Rome out. And he says, you are going to rule with me, essentially. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And they must have been thinking, yeah, we knew it. I told you. You know, like, and, 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 and he says, you know, whatever, he's, it's a bit strange for us, but he says, whatever you loose in heaven will be loosed. You know, whatever will you bind. In other words, like, I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you authority. You know, and they would have been hearing, yeah, we were right to hitch our wagons to you, right? I'm the king, and you were going to rule in this kingdom. It would have been this moment of Peter saying, okay, you're the one, I get this. And then he goes on and says this, and look at what Matthew says. From that time on, which time on? From the time that they had figured it out and said, you're the one. I get this. Jesus began to explain. In other words, so this is now multiple conversations. This is what they sa he said over and over. He began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, which was the center, right? So they get that. To suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Now, he's saying this so much that Peter finally says, and he pulls him aside. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. He said, this, this shall never happen to you. This can't happen to you. 
Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I wonder if the other disciples, like that was like a thing that they would always say, he called you Satan. Like later on, they would have never gotten over it. Shut up. Okay. <clears throat> he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Just a little while ago, he said, oh, Peter, you said that. You're the rock. He says, no, you're Satan. You're a stumbling block. You're not a rock anymore. You're a stone I'm tripping on. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to lose their life, save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Here we see Peter's journey. He says, you're the one. And Jesus says, okay, now that you know, I can tell you the rest of the truth. I'm going to go, and I'm going to die. That's what it means to be the Messiah. And Peter gets to this point where he just says, okay, you have to stop saying this. In other words, I think we can appreciate, I don't even understand what you're talking about. Why are you saying this? We said you're the one, you're Messiah, you're, there's going to be a kingdom. You said this, you're talking like people have never talked before. You've done things that are so powerful. You've raised the dead to life. What do you mean you're going to die? And, and he began to rebuke him. You're not speaking properly. You're not telling the truth. I don't understand what you're saying. Stop saying it. Jesus comes to this point where he says, Peter, like, you're interfering now with actually what Messiah is supposed to do. This kind of thinking, you got to get out of the way because you're interfering. Now imagine what's happening in Peter's heart. He believed. You know, he had seen miracles. He, he had come to believe and he finally comes to himself and says, says to Jesus, I, I, I believe you're the one. And then Jesus starts to say more things that actually get more confusing and he starts to say, well, like, are you the one? And then if you know Peter's story, Jesus does in fact get arrested in Jerusalem. And Peter follows along at a distance, but only so far. And he's sitting outside in a courtyard while Jesus is being tried and like everything he said was going to happen. And a few people who are around start to say to Peter, hey, weren't you with him? And he was like, uh, oh, no, 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 I, you got the wrong guy. And they said, no, no, I'm sure you are. Your accent's like a Galilean. You must have been with him. And he gets to the point where he starts calling down curses, and he says, I tell you, I never knew the man. Now, it's easy for us, if you know the story, maybe to go, oh, Peter, how could you do that? But I wonder whether inside he had had one of those moments. He said, I thought you were the one. I'm not so sure anymore. Now I'm pretty sure you're not. I think many of us can identify with that journey of believing and then something begins to happen that doesn't fit with our belief and we begin to wrestle and then it goes to the point where it's past the point of no return and we think, okay, I was wrong. You can't be the one. That's exactly the journey Peter had. I think we can understand that. The same wrestling that Peter had is the same wrestling you and I have in our faith with God, or maybe as you've said, I don't have a faith with God because of this, that the cross of Jesus Christ seems so foolish to us. 
don't understand it. You might say, no, no, I understand it. Like, he, he had to die and then rose again, and that's why I get forgiveness from sins and freedom. But I think part of our struggle in faith with God, when God begins to do things and say things that we have a hard time hearing and accepting, is in part because we have received a partial gospel, a partial good news. Because what we've been told is, Jesus died so you don't have to. Jesus died so you don't have to. He suffered so you don't have to. He went to the cross so you don't have to. And then he was raised to life, which is what we're going to celebrate next weekend. And that's true. But Jesus said to us, if you are going to follow me, this is probably the news that Peter had the hardest time receiving. I'm not just going to the cross. If you would follow me, you have a cross to carry too. And this is the part of the good news that we want no part of. Let's just be honest. I don't want that. I thought, I thought you were going to come through for me. I thought you did that. You died in my place, which he did. Right? We don't have to die the sin of death anymore. And at Easter weekend, we're going to talk about what does it mean that he's died in our place and what does it mean that he's risen to life? And that's true. But Jesus said to them, knowing that that was still going to happen, but if you're going to follow me, you have a cross to carry too. And I'll be honest with you, friends, I am guilty of thinking about for myself and even preaching a gospel to you without a cross. Because I don't want to think about it. I don't want to avoid it. What I want to believe is any, you know, God is going to save me from suffering. God is going to rescue me from the peril I'm facing. God is always going to come through and answer every prayer. Now, when we say that out loud, we're like, no, that's not true. But in my heart, that's what I believe. It's actually what I expect. Just like Peter, I'm like, what, what do you mean? You said you were the one. You said, if I pray, you'll answer. You said, if I pray, you'll hear. Carrying the cross is the part of our faith that doesn't seem like good news at all. I thought you did that. I didn't know I was going to have to do that too. It's the part we reject. It's the part we find so difficult. It is the part and the point of the struggle in our faith to believe that he is who he says he is. As we have come to trust him, and I don't know where you're at in your journey, maybe you're still on that journey, but maybe the reason it's taking long for you to get there is you're saying, well, it doesn't seem like he's always trustworthy. It doesn't seem like he's al he always hears. And any of you that have journeyed with Jesus long enough, you know this, this has created turmoil in your life, as in mine. It has caused you at times to stop praying because you don't know what to say anymore. It has caused you at times to not to want to say to another person when God is not coming through for them anymore or yet. There is a cross to carry. For some of you, that cross is staying in a marriage that you feel is dead. But you know that God is calling you to be faithful. For some of you, that cross 
is to believe that he will come through for you financially even when you continue to give generously, when you're trusting him somehow. For some of you, that's just a faith to believe, to continue to pray. It is a burden, it is a weight that you carry to persevere in praying to a God that you can't see. It doesn't have ears that you can see, but has ears that can hear. For some of you, it's the faith to carry a cross to actually speak out about your faith in him when everybody else thinks it's just foolish or ridiculous. We are now living in a time where not, it used to be, in a sense, when we lived sort of under the halo of Christendom, the, the, our history of Christianity, which quite frankly was good and bad. But when it was still respectable to believe in God, to worship Jesus. And then it got to the point where it was like, well, I, you know, it's good for you, but not good for me. And now it's actually the point where most people, I think they said like 60% of millennials feel like any belief in any kind of God is a tool of oppression. Now it's actually considered foolish and not just foolish, but dangerous. And that's a cross to carry, to be someone who actually speaks out about their own faith when others, you know, for the, the, the modern viewpoint that it's really kind of ridiculous to believe that a God actually created the world or has a purpose for your life or that you would actually pray to him or that you would actually align your attitudes and behaviors and thoughts with what God wants for your life, that's considered foolishness. That's a cross to carry when anyone sees that in our lives. It's a cross to carry when we are called to love our enemies, when we are called to bless those who seem to be against us. It is a cross to carry, and let's just be honest, we don't want any part of it. It seems unbearable at times. And so why would we? <laughs> why would we remember that there is a cross? The first one, I think, is this. It's just we need to expect that there will be hardship in life. That Jesus is not the magic Mio that you add to your water that makes life taste better, right? Like that's often, that's kind of what we think. We just add Jesus and everything will be better. It's not true. Some aspects of life get harder the more you follow. And so some of why we need to remember at this time of year that there is a cross, not quickly jump to the empty grave, but actually say, no, there is a cross. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to carry one. That the expectation is there will be a heavy burden to bear. That this is part of life. Now, I know there's suffering and hardship in every part of life, but as people who follow Jesus, we bear it with a weight and saying, no, I understand this is what it means to follow and love and trust you because I'm following your footsteps. So first and foremost, we, we remember there's a cross because it helps us make sense of what we're going through. Remember said Jesus actually told us this would happen. But secondly, I believe the more that we learn to carry a cross, the more we actually have to offer those around us. About a year ago, I got a call from 
a woman who's a social worker in the city of Vaughan. She goes to a, another church, but she was looking f- to get in t- contact with the church in the city of Vaughan because she said, I started working with a family. 15-year-old son had a, had a dirt bike accident, hit his head. He said brain trauma, and the family's trying to work through um, how, to, how to support him. But she said, as I've gotten into this family, I've realized the mother's stage four cancer. They have a 12-year-old son as well, and the father's just coming apart. Can you come and meet with them, with me? Well, we go, and I was there for about three hours. And do you know what I realized about a half an hour in when the F-bombs are flying and the tears are out and the parents are thinking, and I, you know, I could see pictures of you know, their marriage, their wedding and stuff, and, and I could see the woman in front of me and you could tell she was a shell of who she used to be physically. And a half an hour in, you know, I'm realizing there's no silver lining theology to be spoken here. There's no don't worry, God will come through for you. There was actually nothing to be said. I just listened. And then I got in my car after and I just bawled my eyes out. And I realized in that moment that if the only gospel I know is one of victory or triumph or success, it is not good news to people who are suffering. Hope, yes, but the reality of the cross, the reality of the hardship of life, if we do not know how to speak that language, we have no good news to give the world that is suffering. Otherwise, it seems out of touch, naive, deluded. The more we actually learn that there is a cross, the more we actually have to bring to those who are suffering because the one thing I can say, which is actually unique in every religion and worldview is to say, do you know what I believe? That my God actually chose to suffer for his people. You will not find this in any other religion or worldview. Everyone who says that all religions are the same, it's just simply not true. You will never find a worldview, a faith, where God comes in and chooses to suffer for and at the hands of his creation. And that is good news. Because it means that God is near to you in your suffering. That is a gospel. That is good news we can speak. That Jesus was a man of sorrows, well well acquainted with grief. He was not Mary Poppins with superpowers, walking around just turning everything to roses. Prophet Isaiah says he, he bore our sins and he carried our iniquities and our sufferings. The more we know that there is a cross, the more in tune we are with the God who is near to those who are in pain. Amen. The third reason to remember that there's a cross is because it actually brings you closer to Jesus. Like, you know, in my life, I think, oh, I want to know God's presence. I want, and we have those moments, right? Sometimes they happen here in church as we're worshiping or when someone's praying with us or we have those moments where we, we actually feel like we can feel God's presence with us. And I always think, man, I want that more. Why can't I have that more? Do you know what I've found in my own life? And, in, and as I've walked with other people, and what's one of the great privileges you have as a pastor is people invite you in to their pain. And you know what I've realized? is there's an intimacy with Christ, the suffering savior, that you get when you go through suffering like you never get in any other time in life. 
And would I choose those things? No, but somehow it seems that at, in my suffering, in the sufferings of others, as I go into their lives and, and share that with them, we begin to actually experience the intimacy of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, actually one of the letters that he writes to the church saying, there's a call to share in the sufferings of Christ. That we actually begin to know him more. And so sometimes the prayer that you have prayed to know God more is being answered through the situation that you're praying would stop. Get that? The prayer that you have prayed, oh God, bring me close to you, all the songs that we sing, is actually being answered in the situation that you are praying would go away. Or that God would just fix. Or why aren't you coming through? And this isn't like a yin and yang, like you got to do your time and, and like God likes to see you suffer and then somehow you'll get a reward. It's not that. But there is this mystery that somehow Jesus himself walked through. That's why we call the cross a mystery. That through the mystery of his sufferings, somehow he was raised to life. That as we go through that, we actually begin to know him more. And that may be that God is answering a prayer that you have prayed for a long time through a situation that you just wish would go away. But here's the greatest reason, actually, to remember that there is a cross. At the end of one of the biographies of Jesus in Luke, we read this. This is after his death, after his resurrection. They're all talking together, meeting in a room, freaked out, not knowing what has happened. And there's rumors that people have seen Jesus. They don't know it yet. There's rumors. A couple of them had. The rest of them were like, no, you saw a ghost. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were freaked out and peed their pants. Yes, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Because some of them had saw him, had seen him die. He said to them, why are you troubled? Jesus, rhetorical question. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet, the pierced hands, the pierced feet that weren't bleeding anymore. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it, right? In other words, saying, I'm real, ghosts don't eat. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law and the prophets and the Moses Psalm, basically saying all of the Old Testament story is a story about me. It's heading that way. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And this is why we remember there's a cross. Because one day there will come a day like that day. When Jesus explains to you and I the reason for our cross. That's what he did for them, right? They didn't understand the cross. It didn't fit with anything that they thought Messiah and, and victory and kingdom and all of that. They could have never envisioned what he was actually doing. He was delivering them not from the kingdom of Rome, but from the kingdom of darkness and sin and death. He was freeing them so that they would actually have a resurrection like his. No Jew had ever thought that there would be this resurrection that way, like that. And Jesus says, do you not see 
my wounds? Do you remember my death? This is why it happened. It wasn't like the cross was this sort of side, you know, detour that nobody had planned and everyone was like, no. Jesus says, no, this is how it all was meant to be. Didn't you see it from the beginning? Messiah had to suffer and die and then be raised to life. And so now this is the hope that you and I have. That one day, there will come a day when he begins to to explain to us the reasons for the cross that we carried. And our joy will be like the disciples' joy when we realize, wait, we are going to be raised to life too. And our lives and our stories are going to be redeemed and rescued and explained. That just like Jesus, not in spite of our sufferings, but somehow through them, we will get to that glorious day. Amen? But there's a cross first. (laughs) There's a cross first. And the hope that we have, and you say, well, how do we know it's going to happen? Because it happened to him. The resurrection is the proof. That's why everything in our faith rests on the resurrection of Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, your faith is useless. But since he did, since he did, you have hope. That's why we remember the cross. And so for you this Easter, as you journey through this, I want you with me to remember the cross. Don't leap quickly to resurrection. Yes, his, but ours not yet. Right now, they're suffering. Right now, we carry the cross. And so for some of you, I just want to invite you to do something that um, Jen and I have been doing for many years, even before we were married with a bunch of young adults. Every Easter, we used to watch the Jesus film. Now, Franco Zeffirelli, an Italian director, did a six-hour Jesus film, which is really amazing. Uh, If you have the time to do that, we used to do that over two days, and we'd get everybody together and just kind of watch it. Um, But if you don't, you only have two hours. Netflix has the Son of God film which I know this sounds weird to say, but it's my favorite Jesus. Um, like he just, uh, it's just a picture of Jesus that I think is so, yes, this is what he was like. And the way they stitch together the gospel narratives is just so beautiful. And so for some of you, you just, we're actually doing that with our home group this week. We're gonna watch the Son of God movie just to get close to his cross, to get close to his suffering in a sense to see it again. Not just as, oh, something that happened to him, but he said, no, no, walk with me follow me. And so for some of you, you just need to do that. This is called Holy Week in the life of the church. Don't, don't crash into Good Friday, friends. Prepare. Carve out some time. Cancel something you had planned to do. Get up earlier and watch an hour before you go and watch an hour the next day. Something. Get close to him. Watch him carry his cross. That's something you can do this week. But then as we live together in community and as you interact with the people in your neighborhood and friends, there's this other thing that we can do. One is to ask someone to carry your cross with you. What we're meant to do, actually, we do it together. We're meant to do it alone. Jesus didn't, Peter wasn't the only disciple. There was 12. They were meant to act like a family. And so some of you have been suffering through something, but you have not actually invited anyone else in to carry it with you. You need to do that. That's what we do for each other. And then others of us may need to move towards someone who is suffering. 
Look, sometimes I know when you're walking with someone who's suffering, it burns you out because you have nothing left to say. And they keep looking to you and you think, well, I'm not your savior. I, I don't know. I don't know what God's doing. And start, we start to get mad at them. We start to get mad at God and say, God, why? Why? Why is this taking so long? Why aren't you coming through? And Jesus often is saying, I didn't ask you to have the answers. I just want you to move close to them. I want you to learn to suffer with them. I want you to carry this with them. And so for some of you, maybe there's someone around you. Maybe you don't know them that well and you think it would be weird if I asked them I could pray with them or if I could have coffee with them to talk about it. Move towards someone who is carrying a cross and share that burden with them. It's one of the most beautiful ways we have to experience the suffering of Christ together. And Paul says, if you share in his sufferings, you will surely share in his glory. I'm gonna invite the worship team up to lead us in two songs of response. They're actually gonna first, we're gonna sing that song always. Why do we sing then? How can we sing these songs in the middle of carrying our cross? You know, the African-American slaves, in the years that they were under the oppression and kept as property of white people, they wrote the songs which are now famous. They're the Negro spirituals. You know why they sang? They sang for two reasons. One is it was code. They used to pass messages on the, the next movement of the Underground Railroad. They would pass it along through their songs. Information about hope. But then they would also sing inspiration for hope. It's the same reason we sing. Information about hope. We rehearse and remember the Jesus story of his death and resurrection. We pass it on to each other. It's why we sing together. But we also sing for hope to say there's a day coming. It's not this day, but it is coming. And so I just want to invite you to sing this morning the songs of hope. And maybe ones that for you have felt empty before today will say, no, I know I need to sing this today. Maybe there's someone in your life, you're just going to sing it on their behalf or just pray for them as you're singing. But let's sing those things together to pass on the information about hope and the inspiration about the hope that we have in Christ. Would you stand with me?